welcome to another episode of Money for Nothing, the podcast about music and capitalism. I'm Saxon Baird with Sam Backer as always. And hey, Sam, you made us a Twitter. Yeah, I did make us a Twitter. It is <laughs> So uh, go go follow that. What is the handle? We are at M4N Podcast on twitter.com <laughs> where all apps can be found yeah like uh you know we'll probably be doing a lot of like you know it's, it's where we'll shit talk uh, but like not under our actual like our, our actual handles just yeah, yeah. we'll shit talk under mon- a moniker which is I- i've actually been um a nom de plume oh, like i've been okay. waiting for that my whole life turns yeah out. well now you have I'm it. very excited um, about it yeah I mean, it's not it's not that great of a nom de plume, considering that there's only two of us that do this podcast. But uh, nonetheless, <laughs> yeah. So go, so go, uh, go, so yeah. Please go follow us on Twitter and also rate and review us on uh, wherever you listen to your podcast and like you know tell your friends about us. Like continue to spread the good word. So today you'll be hearing a conversation, and it kind of really is truly a conversation, uh, not just an interview between Sam and Sebastian Aday. Sebastian Aday is an artist and also works for a sync company and we really wanted to just uh, get him on and talk to him about this very important aspect of music and capitalism and that is sync and so before you hear that conversation uh sam and i just wanted to quickly like have a little brief discussion about it ourselves and maybe frame the context of the of the of the conversation so like i mean i guess just to start like why did you want to talk to sebastian about about sync so for a while i've kind of felt like sync is a, a a really important missing part of the discussion that we've been having about the music industry um over the past uh <laughs> rest of the show really and then in, in that it's in in, in many ways in, in a vital and increasingly important part of how the industry functions, how labels think about things, how artists think about things, how managers think about things, but it kind of exists outside and apart the kind of artist label dyad that structures a lot of, you know, or, or artist label consumer triad that structures a lot of discussions about the record industry. And so I really wanted to talk to Sebastian because, um, and really spend an episode talking about sync and, and really just to start thinking about this space and how it functions and how it really shapes well a like the soundscape of our lives right which are totally defined by and increasingly defined as i everything as digital communication as the proliferation of social media continues to roll all before it like our lives are increasingly soundtracked by songs that have been placed in advertisements songs that have been placed in alongside visual images and so yeah so i just think it's a really crucial part of this this whole story and and i just thought it was something that was good to start thinking through because it's been important and because it's gonna can really get more important as time goes on i'm pretty convinced and as we can talk about later yeah and i think i think we've 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 we obviously like talk about it but we just haven't like i think addressed it so directly you know but we, we've mentioned i feel like we mentioned it almost in every show yeah I mean, and like yeah. I, you know having listened to the conversation i you know i think it's really interesting because i think there's something that you said there that was really interesting in the fact that it's like kind of seems to exist outside of the sort of like label artist like music industry whatever triad i think you, you called it you know and, and i'm kind of curious as like why that is you know, like, and and so maybe before I say anything, like, why why do you think it, it 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 it's outside of that? So yeah, so I think that sync, in many ways, sync's role in the record industry, it seems to me, is a result of like the weird legal landscape that produces it, right? As we talked about before, and as we're gonna talk, I'm gonna talk about with Sebastian. You know, there's mechanical rights, there's um, performance rights. We've got episodes about those that we can link to in the show notes. And sync is this weird thing that, that didn't really exist when a lot of these older systems got created. And basically, all of the kind of rules and structures around how much you have to pay to perform a song or to play a song in public don't really exist. The rules book, the rule book gets thrown out the window when you're taking a song and putting it in relationship to a 
moving image. It means there's a whole new set of negotiations, right? And because of that, because of that, A, because of that legal complexity that needs specialized people to deal with, and also because of just the fact that it exists in this weird, like, exception zone that makes it a different thing than, you know, just its basic structure kind of aside from from the, 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 the fundamental economic logic that, like, a record company is most of the time going to be dealing with. I feel like it kind of ends up in its own zone in, in a really, really interesting way. Yeah, yeah, I like that. And, you know, uh, obviously you and Sebastian go into detail about what sync is, but obviously we're discussing, you know, like if you want to go ahead and like license a song for like a commercial or like a movie or something like, you know, that would be a sync. video game, a video game. Yeah, exactly. But I, I but to, but to like put a pin in like what you were just saying, like, I really, I really like that. And I think that when discussing the pairing of images and music, there are like so many roads you can go down. And even if we were just talking about like, you know, within the framework of the subject of sync and like, obviously when you were like pairing music with like a commercial or like film or whatever it may be you know you really are taking these two different mediums often made not always but with neither in mind of each other they you know they don't you know and and they are essentially fused together to the like you said to create something else entirely mm-hmm. and like this new thing you know i guess whether it's like a film or a commercial or a video game or whatever it is kind of becomes something completely else on its own and also in an interesting way it kind of speaks to like the limitations of each and I'm limitations in quotations of like each of those mediums the images themselves is like one thing and then like the music itself is one thing but then like it can't do like one or the other you know and it's really interesting you know it kind of becomes and I'm, you know I, I say limitations in quotations right because like on their own they you know are great as is oftentimes but they kind of like become something completely different which they can't become on their own and I just and I think from a creative like artistic standpoint that's like that could be really great you know but like when you kind of inject the element of capital into this it kind of puts this sort of uh marriage of these two sort of creative mediums in a kind of new light and like i think at least can instead come off less like a union of like two creative forms to create like a new work of art and more like some sort of like consumerist hyperactivity to like make me excited about something that i'm going to consume whether it be like a product or a tv show or something to watch or whatever it is you know i'm not trying to say that you know obviously the sellout conversation is seems absurd at this point but it is interesting that when you inject money into that you know of like a bit advertisement or whatever it is and like the reasons why we are even bringing these two art forms together it's it, it kind of it kind of sheds a new light on it and it kind of adds a whole different kind of element to even the whole concept of it i i agree with the point about the ways in which like it's interesting that the fusion of these things so often comes about via like advertising right and, and the kind of the use of, of these medium to sell to sell stuff but uh, one of the things that i really think about when considering sync in general is the ways in which and we've talked about this before i guess um the ways in which so much of this is are like weird artifacts of the legal system that it's fully constructed, right? That there's a that there's a ground floor of like how much you're supposed to pay to play a song or how much who gets what rights and that's the structure that determines publishing, it's the structure that determines masters and often like you know, profoundly exploitative, right? If you think about the conversation we had with David Arditi, right? The basic neutral logic of the record contract, for instance, is fundamentally exploitative, but it's kind of the basic lay of the landscape um, and it's built into the legal system, so we don't think about it that much. But because sync is in this weird state of exception, and and uh, as I want to talk about in a minute, maybe like a state of exception that may not last forever, actually, it seems like I feel like you get to see the play of money more clearly because it's operating outside the bounds of like normal usage in a way that I don't think that sync is or the kinds of negotiations that structure sync is more about capital or more about consumption than a traditional like record contract, but it just, it's out in the open in a different way in a way that I think uh, makes an ideological difference, but also is just, it's an interesting space to reflect on the functioning of the system as a whole from. Well, so like, so if I can understand what you're saying, are you, are you suggesting that maybe the artists or the people like Sebastian, like maybe like representing or help 
so representing the artist or slash like helping whatever it may be brand television show whatever find music that like the artist in a sense kind of has like more they can kind of push their weight around a little bit more i mean legally that's definitely true right yeah for sure for, for and, and, it's and like a, as we talked about if you want to get like a record out and you want like it to be like mass produced and distributed and like all that it's like you kind of got to play like the record company game and obviously that's changed now with like whatever you know social media platforms and stuff and all that stuff but you know like you kind of got to play their game and, and this is one where you have to like you can get a, a good negotiation a really good placement can sponsor a career right right but it's but it's interesting too because i feel like the, you know there, there's still the issue of power structures in a sense like of course yeah considering all this within the realm of like you know whatever capitalism or capitalist realist framework like this is like another avenue for artists to earn money and often it's a more lucrative avenue than like traditional methods of like recording and selling performing music right which we're kind of saying and i guess like that's great right but in itself it also reveals so much about the power structures and systems that work that you know not only in the music industry but sort of creative industries and like if you step back even farther it's like society at large and you're then at that point you're like hey here we go again those at the helm of the revenue faucet handles are corporations and brands and that of course has an effect on how we play the say play the game of or how we're how we choose to be a musician or artist or think about our art and then you kind of have to think about like how that is producing and driving and shaping culture and by proxy and identity and you know so many more concerns no no i i feel i feel that set of concerns i guess i was surprised yeah. in this counterintuitive way that's one of uh the real pleasures I have from doing research for this show mm. that where I thought it was going to be, I guess from some, I don't know, like lizard brain, like raucist authenticity, authenticity obsessed <laughs> part of like the 13 year old that lives inside of me um, was going to be like yeah. the ickiest part. And I found thinking seriously about sync, right? Like music is a commodity and sync, the discussions about sync, both at the level of, you know, that once in a lifetime, I don't know, like, didn't like of Montreal basically fund their whole career? They did like an Outback Steakhouse ad. <laughs> and it was like, they were like, and we bought stage props for the next five tours with that money. And it let us. Yeah. Or, or, or as I was texting you, I mean, like chairlift had that Apple commercial and like in interviews, like both of them have very publicly talked about how getting that placement in an Apple commercial help them like buy more equipment and like take the time also to like basically become better producers and musicians and like the the sonic difference from their first album to their second is very noticeable so yeah obviously like i guess what you're trying to say is like obviously in the last 20 or 30 years it's altered like what we consider like selling out now obviously sync is a completely acceptable way to get paid quote unquote because how the fuck else are you gonna make rent and how you else you're gonna make music without going into debt and working a shitty job and living a sustainable life and all that stuff you know like obviously yeah it does it does seem like maybe the concerns of like uh i don't know nirvana style like you know don't want to sell out don't want to work within industry or, or something although they very much did um <laughs> is it seems almost kind of like absurd now like if to like choose not to accept some sort of sync licensing deal yeah and it's really interesting just because it's just at every level in a way that i found or i find is not necessarily as true in the record label where there's still some sort of like uh, designation of craft and i'm not saying that art doesn't exist but you can be an artist and a worker at the same time <laughs> and i feel like that's an apt description of most musicians <laughs> most people frankly and Within the sync space, just there's always the fact that music is a commodity is just front and center. And whether that's you're producing anonymous tracks for a library where literally you're just making widget music, more or less, right? Or you're in one of those once in a lifetime deals that funds a career. You're saying music is this thing, <laughs> people buy it, people buy it to sell other things. It's part of human social life. And I actually. I mean, again, this is building off something that um, I think David Arditti said in a really interesting way in the interview is, is I feel like given the situation we're in, admitting that and then trying to build a, a more equitable distribution of rewards from that like basic cornerstone seems to me to be the way forward and, and a really interesting way. And so I found sync really useful, that a discussion of sync really useful in that regard. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, no, I agree with all that. But, you know, it, it has to be said that, you know, if we are to, like, sort of celebrate this as, like, a as a as a way to sort of make a viable chunk of change and, like, as you said, a, a viable way of, like, moving forward, then, I mean, the question has to be asked, are we also turning a blind eye to the system that led this to being one of the only viable forms? And I guess are we asking the question about how, you know, that is impacting the art itself, whether it be music, film, or whatever it is, mm-hmm. and then, of course, you know, how that ripples through culture and society, and then, like, does it lead us to like, you know, I'm asking like big picture sort of galaxy brain questions here, but like, you know, does that then lead us to trust brands and corporations in a way because we identify with them now because of like songs that they place? And then am I feeling more connected to, you know, fucking Apple than I am to say a political party or my day job or like my community? I mean, like, I can go on about this, right? But yeah, I get it. Like if from a realist take, it is a reality and, and it is there and, a vi- and it is viable. And while I, you know, I guess would commend anyone to hold on to their personal standards it should be said that you know like we've we have in a way been arm wrestled into this position where not considering a sync licensing opportunity as an artist looks pretty fucking absurd (laughs) you know and but i guess let's not like forget how we got here i guess you know like let's continue to ask questions about like because now that we are here like why are we why are we here and like how is that affecting the art itself or culture or you know whatever it may be no i think that's a that's a really good point I think you're right. And, you know, I, I think a lot actually about that famous Andy Warhol line about Coca-Cola, yeah, yeah, you know? Yeah, of course. Right. Right. Like I drink the same Coke is the same for everyone. I drink the same Coke as Elizabeth Taylor. And that's amazing. And there is something. And I think something important about importantly, Demic for all its many, 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 many flaws, environmental, racial <laughs> more flaws than you you could even we could recount in the rest of the show there is something democratic and potentially liberatory about the basis of mass consumption and the the uh, you know culturally like the model of mass consumption that was at least ideologically although never really kind of posited by the record industry right the idea that like a band becomes popular because every normal joes and normal joettes shell out the same amount of money. Janes, you mean? <laughs> Joettes, dude. <laughs> normal Joes and normal Joettes. <laughs> you know, everyone shells out the same amount of money. There's this kind of base. All the records are the same value. There's some, there is something, dem- and I, there's something democratic in that premise, and I think it's one of the reasons why that system was so satisfying to so many people and why it's been so hard to abandon that. And I mean, I think that this reflects a broader like set of ideological issues in in our contemporary society, right? Like the the the, the kind of yeah, holding definitely. of that like '60s era growth liberalism factory, you know, that as like a, a, a in many quarters, both left and right, as kind of like an ideal that we should fight towards, and not looking at the fundamental flaws and contradictions and inequalities and violences of that system, and also why it collapsed, and just kind of holding. I think you both can't hold on to that system, but you also have to recognize the liberatory and emancipatory potential, at least in the ideological structure that it posited. And so you kind of have to hold those both in your mind while also being like, we're not there anymore. And how do we build something that captures some of that flavor while reflecting contemporary realities? Yeah, no, that that's great. Boy, that's a great point. Um, you mentioned something... You mentioned something a few minutes ago about how you feel like sync is going to possibly change and not be as much as not be quite as much of a lucrative revenue stream as it is now. Or you were like kind of hinting on something like that. I just wanted to add, like give you some time to talk about that. I'm curious what's on your mind. Yeah. So I again, I mean, I, a lot of this came from listening listening at 2.5 speed to seven hours Psycho. of sync podcasts i was like I amazing um <laughs> it was a weird day once again please rate and review us we spend like 12 hours researching a show that we do for an hour for free so please at least rate and review us <laughs> yeah so i listen to a lot of sync podcasts which is a whole vibe let me tell you yeah and, wild and there are a shocking number of sync podcasts, by the way. Like, like ten. Like, there's more sync podcasts. Like podcast shows or like podcast episodes. Podcast shows. It's called like wow. Sync the podcast. Like Sync wow. World. Like Amazing. Sync Vision. Like, there's a bu- Dude, shout out to all those podcasts. And shout out to everyone trying to make it in sync. Like, God bless. 
do your best yeah. like that's sure. a tough road that's just a tough road to travel um i'm like I, I learned one thing i learned is i'm glad i am not trying to make it as a musician in sync that shit sounds very stressful don't lie i know i see that keyboard behind there you're trying to make jingles for the mattress company in, in worcester massachusetts where you currently are uh, recording worcester 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 i'm gonna leave that in <laughs> <laughs> one of the things i got from this worcester what just Worcester? It's the, the it, it's a weird that it's the silent R C H E S T. Yeah, yeah. It's there's a lot of silent letters in there. Um, w- one thing that, that that listening to this podcast really made, made me realize is, is like people act like sync and the legal infrastructure around sync is kind of like the way things always were and always have been. But like mm-hmm. I we know that like it's fairly it's like a contingent legal structure. There's nothing innate about putting music and visuals together that makes it legally and contractually a new work of art. That was like a weird accidental side piece of like the fact that they didn't have sound videos when they wrote these yeah. laws in the 20s and 30s, right? Yeah. And so given that Given what we know about the major labels, it does <laughs> seem that some of these super powerful players, and especially as you get more and more user-generated content around the mixture between videos and sound, for instance, the most popular app in the world, TikTok, that the kind of the powers that be in this landscape, i.e. the tech companies and the major labels that are also the biggest publishers, can just make deals around sync, right? And that's as far as I can tell. And and please uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Hit us up on our brand new uh, Twitter account <laughs> if if I'm wrong here. But but like TikTok videos, user generated TikTok videos aren't sync. Now it sure seems to me like you are combining visual images and music to create a new thing. And my understanding is basically it's that TikTok has cut a deal with record labels. Like, so sure, if it's not covered by those major label agreements, like, as a rights holder, like, you can issue a takedown order, but, like, good luck, good luck figuring it out. Um, actually, like, on one of those sync, the sync podcasts I listened to in, in, um, in researching this episode, oh, one of the hosts was like, YouTube content ID is theft. It's legalized theft. And I'm like, whoa, that is sharp language. And he's like, yeah, it's because they don't have sync licenses. And so basically the deal that YouTube cuts is we'll give rights holders some amount of money um, or they could go by themselves and try to like issue takedown orders for all these YouTube videos. But there's simply too many YouTube videos for that to be possibly possibly convenient unless like... (laughs) <laughs> your prince with his quote like crack team of female <laughs> lawyers <laughs> which is what he said uh who he said was dealing with his takedown orders and really there was no prince on the, on youtube for a long time so like it is possible but you need real resources so everyone takes the deal right and i feel like you get systems like that and all of a sudden sync starts to go away because it's just a legal structure and big companies with deep pockets can just make deals around it so do i mean in your research just maybe like one final question and then we'll cut to uh your conversation with sebastian a day um but i'm curious sam before we go to that like is there any kind of discussion around ways to sort of ensure that this revenue stream of sync like remains like a you know a lucrative and viable way for like artists to make money (laughs) i mean to be honest (laughs) say no <laughs> or like you know or would it would it involve like some sort of laws set into place by the government or like you know what would it take like what or are there discussions around that like i mean okay so you know there's this long-term discussion about whether safe harbor needs to be rethought and if that happens it's a fundamental structural element of the current digital ecosystem that's just gone or changed and then mm. You know who knows you flip the board over over and you could have a real a real change i don't know if it's good or bad i just know it'll be very different honestly it seems to me that what you're gonna get and um this is like uh, looking at a crystal ball in a crystal ball <laughs> um <laughs> is i think you get more bifurcation right you've got the a bigger split between 
the deals, the big deals, right? Like, I don't think like an Audi commercial that's going away, right? And our sure. user generated Audi commercials. But I think that it's another way that potentially musicians aren't going to get a part of these vast amounts of money that are being generated in these digital landscapes, but... And probably becoming, like, fastly becoming more lucrative than an Audi commercial as, like, you know, just uh, user habits change. Yeah, no, I mean, I mean... And technology. I think, I think, yeah, like, social media is in many ways the f- the present and going to be more in the future, and it's increasingly the way that we live our lives, and it's where music is experienced and where social interactions around music take place. And, I mean, I think that... If I had to, my gut is that like what you're gonna get is sort of kind of kind of what happened with with the 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 streaming services, right? Like a deal where the major companies that control large segments of this market make enough to make themselves very profitable, while kind of not doing that much to to sh- to to help out the the kind of general <laughs> ground level of artists. Sometimes people are gonna shoot up in popularity and be able to make a ton of money. And that's going to be used to justify everyone else. But like for a lot of people in this kind of like, I don't know, user generated sync landscape, it's going to be a lot of people making music uh, for free. So it sounds like my issues that I, so it sounds like the issues that I raised at the beginning of this conversation between you and I about sync in regards to power structures as if maybe this conversation has gone full circle and (laughs) maybe my concerns are, are, are proving to be, worthwhile concerns <laughs> <laughs> you mean those in power are gonna try to like <laughs> turn the faucets a little lower to those at the bottom producing the music and on a little higher shocked, for them shocked that there's mm. gambling in this establishment yeah, yeah shocked absolutely <laughs> shocked well with that we will go ahead and take a little musical break and then you'll be hearing you'll be hearing sam and sebastian today's conversation more on this subject We have with us today Sebastian Ade. He's a, a musical artist, an artist, a, a singer-songwriter, an extraordinary singer-songwriter, a producer, and he also works for Heavy Duty Projects in Sync, which is what we're going to be talking about today. Uh, Sebastian, welcome to Money for Nothing. Thanks, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited to talk with you also in the interest of full disclosure uh sebastian works very closely with bird language who provided our theme music and certain members of of uh, that production duo (laughs) might be related (laughs) okay so to start with sebastian could you just tell us a little bit about just to give listeners a sense kind of of like of this world that a that I would say everyone who engages in any sort of media consumption full stop has seen the fruits of, but that lots of folks don't really think about that much necessarily. So can you just tell me a little bit about like what you do um, kind of generally and then maybe even like on like a day to day? Well, you know what sync is like the synchronization license is just like music, the license that you need to have music um, against picture, like commercials, TV, film, online, all that. Uh, And uh, yeah, I work for a company that does like custom music. Heavy Duty Projects does like custom music and music supervision um, and some sound effects work. And they also have like a publishing arm. Music supervision is like finding songs that exist in the world like curating songs that like exist already um for a film or um or a video project of some sort and then custom music is like creating stuff from scratch 
for advertising or film. So you guys both act as kind of like a middleman, right? Like you connect, there's a film project, let's say, I don't know, the the next a season of Russian Doll, make it up. They come to you guys okay. and are like, we want a Nielsen-esque pop song because we blew all our money getting that wake up in the morning song for the first uh for the first series so then you guys act as a middleman and try to find a song to license Uh that fits their desires there are media companies right there are people that create content media companies look uh like an advertiser like an ad agency or a netflix per se like a brand you know and they're they're creating visual media and then or film company and then i think there's a part of the music industry and it's like interconnected of course but there's a part of the music industry that like consults on music you know um and consults on licensing music specifically and i think that's where sync kind of comes in like when you have a, a, a media project where do i who do i talk to to kind of like soundtrack this and to pro- help me provide music especially if i have a very specific if i'm going for a very specific thing you know and so there's like a it, there's like an industry of um of companies that provide music for media and the sync industry consists of like the licensing side on the labels part, right? Artists are in that ecosystem. Producers are in that ecosystem. Media creators, um, media companies are in that um, ecosystem. Advertisers are in that ecosystem. Um, and I mean, in the further, I know you have more questions about how they might all play together, but it really starts with like a media company deciding that they need music. And depending on what kind of music services they want, they need, whether that be they want to create something from scratch or whether that be there's like a popular song that they want to license. There's like so many different avenues um, to do that. And one could be going to it. One could be going to a music company um, that can help you curate a song or uh, kind of like if, if you can't afford a certain song, like walk you through how you might find a song that better fits um, your budget and, like help you achieve that kind of like goal that you have in mind and and then there's like and then there's companies that do like custom music right there's some companies do both that are like we'll just do everything here we'll sound we'll create all the music here and like walk you through walk you through that and then there's like sound id companies which is also like a part of it my buddy works at a place that um did like the set the apple sounds like on your phone and like it was like three of them that were just like doing the like keypad sounds, you know, on your phone. And that's and and you know it's so funny, like that is and like what your ring like you ever think about like your ringtone, like that's also a mel that's like a melody that like they that they have to license too, you know, that Apple might either have bought out or like done in-house, but you think like somebody has made created that too, and that has like in some capacity they had to buy that right no totally and it's really fascinating because like so many things in the music industry it seems like which as as we've said and as everyone who's tried to figure out like how payouts work is the most complicated baroque just sure. like band-aids on top of legislation on top of band-aids on top of legislation sure. on top of decisions that were made about sheet music in the 1890s system you can imagine and so it's this funny thing it seems to me which is that like it's a really fascinating thing is that you are both it's this very like aesthetic culturally astute taste making aspect coupled with like profound the companies offer profound like legal expertise to like we'll figure out how to license this stuff for you so you don't have to get sued when i don't know uh for you're sure unlicensed song <laughs> in your thing okay so let's turn to like the the 
I don't want to say that we've been talking about like the client side. We're talking about the media side, right? So let's yeah. When media, when you say media side, what do you? I mean, mean I mean, like though? we're thinking about like the, the 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 visual image side is what we've been talking about, right? From the perspective okay, of like cool. a company that works in sync, connecting with a company that's let's say making a film. Got it. Yeah. So let's turn to the other side for a second, right? So my, okay. my understanding is that because of the very specific legal structures that govern sync right if you want to play a song on the radio it's pretty simple you can play any song on the radio you have Mm -hmm. to pay for Mm -hmm. it but you Mm -hmm. you can play it similarly Mm -hmm. because of 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 compulsory licensing if you want to record a song you can just record a copy of a song you have to pay for that once you've recorded it once it's been the, the composition's been initially recorded right but sure. you don't have to ask yeah. anyone's permission to record a song. Now, if you want to play, because of the weird, very specific thing of sync, of the legal system that we work in, right? Okay. If you want to play a song sure. with a yep. video, all of a sudden, it's this different license, right? Mm-hmm. And which means that you are in a set of a different set of negotiations <laughs> with a different set, you know, that's different than if you want to just like brought, perform the song, than if you want to uh, play the song on the radio, if you want to listen to the song out loud. It's totally different. Exactly. Yep. So, okay. And that's the kind of governing force field in which all of this is taking place. It's nice. It, this is complicated enough. It's nice to always take a step back and, yes. and just think through it all. Yes. So, the next step is like I guess you go to the people who have the rights for the music that you're trying to license, right? And I imagine that could be um, right. a library, right, of music for this kind of thing that's set up specifically for sync. That could be a label. That could be an independent artist who controls their own master in songwriting and is distributed by something like DistroKid. There's a like a, a huge environment. Um, and basically, you're making deals with all these different kind of entities that control the licenses you need to kind of get access to that music. Yes, Sam, you got it. Why am I even? Why am I even here? <laughs> so let's like like very briefly like talk through just just to get like a little bit more of this landscape, like sure. a little bit more of those like different kinds of entities that are out there, right? So, like, the Mm -hmm. oldest form of this, it seems to me, is, like, the labels. And that's kind of the most straightforward, right? Um, Like, they have the music. They have access to the music and the artist. They have the access to the music and the artist. Yeah, like, the masters. Um, And the publishing, like, there's the publishers, the publishing company labels, too. Sorry. The publishing labels, too. Um, And they have the, they're, like, the closest to artists, right? Like... So they're almost the gatekeepers of that relationship in many ways. Yeah, and it's it's important to note here that um, just a reminder that one of the, the differences about sync is that unlike the kinds of payouts that are kind of um, militated by different legal structures and consent decrees, look back to our episode about consent decrees for why PROs work the way they do. <laughs> but... Unlike when you play a song, let's say, um, perform a song, and there's a specific kind of payout associated with that, this is a space in which uh, publishing is equally as important as masters, right? Mm-hmm. Like a publisher, if the publisher doesn't want the song to go on a commercial, it's not going on the commercial. So they, they can get paid out a lot more from this syncs than they would from um, from a lot of, like from uh, how much uh, they make from, let's say, Spotify plays. Right. Right, right. Well, I mean, my sense is that for a long time, like this is these were the only. I mean, there were film music libraries, but then there were the, the record labels, and that's why you get the thing where it was like you'd get a big name song for a movie, or like you know, right. someone used a Beatles song and it cost like you know right. five million dollars. That's the most classic vision of how like these companies they think they know their music is valuable. They'll give you sometimes depending on the artist give you access to it but for a right 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 change usually yeah no totally and so because of that it seems almost because like they are the majors are like very you know seems like very much like holding the line of the value of the music there's been this like explosion of like other options around Mm -hmm. them if 
is my understanding. How so? Elaborate. Like, like it seems like if labels were just like giving out their, uh, not giving out their music, if labels were willing to quickly and easily and relatively cheaply negotiate for sync, libraries wouldn't exist the way they do, it seems to me. Right, 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 right. Yes, right, because you have to like, because they have to put, they have to make money too, and they have to put a value on the music, right? Like, um, there's like, from a art, from like the artist side, I feel like a lot of times people tell you like, you like, when you, when you're negotiating your, your, um, when people approach you to use your song in media, Mm -hmm. like what you, what you say that price is like what whatever that kind of like um starting however you start that negotiation is essentially like how you value your music and you don't want to devalue your music right yeah right and so i think labels are just kind of like they they see sync as a lucrative opportunity so they have to set a price on the music and if it's if it is accessible then the value of that music goes down right then that makes a lot of sense just generally because, it, you know, the, the classic label strategy, mm-hmm. right, is is you release 10 records and one of them pays for the other nine, right? Right, right, right. And so at some level, that makes a lot of sense that, like, labels are going to be kind of tricky and ornery and hard to deal with. and They're not because at some level it's, like, pre- protect like a prayer at all right exactly yeah (laughs) i i think that's it's like a very apt way to describe it and so even if there's like music that huge amounts of music that major like universal has released that no one is particularly using they're not like because they they don't want to cheapen the overall brand (laughs) there it's it's they, they always are a little bit difficult to deal with yeah and especially if like especially if someone has interest in it now this thing that might have been sitting there has just like just because of the demand now right like (laughs) of course now we right like now that someone's interested in it we should put like we should see how much they're how much they're willing to pay for it so if 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 that's the label side can can you tell me a little bit like my understanding and i've never is that they're also then, in some ways, almost to fill this gap. Um, there are libraries of music that are specifically designed and licensed for sync, sure. Right? Yep, yep, yeah. There is, there's, and there's like companies that do that, and that's just like if the pro, if you're, if, like, if you have a, if your budget's not that sexy, and the and the whatever the media you have is pretty low stakes in many ways, like how do I find music that I can afford? And I don't need a, a, I don't need a Neil Diamond song, you know, to accomplish what I have to accomplish. There's like a, there's a plethora of companies that are like, Hey, you pay, pay this and we'll, um, and you can license a song here. And we have like a blanket, basically like a blanket license for everything in our library, you know? And I feel like that, is kind of like the how um, the variety of companies like that runs the gamut. More recently, though, because of just the explosion of digital everything, there are all these right. other services now, right? That like right. allow people who have are self-releasing their music to connect with sync possibilities. Yeah, sure. Sure. I'm not too privy. I know that exists. Like I think about like United Masters, like Mm -hmm. which is basically a distribution company that like their whole like their differentiation, like how they market themselves is like we're basically um, a distribution platform for artists that could like connect you to opportunities in the sync world. Sure. Yeah. And I'm like, I I don't know much about that but i've always been interested in like how does that quite work especially like what are your chances of like actually landing a sync opportunity yeah when everybody's distributing their music this way like what kind of is the how do you guys kind of select who's Mm. who you're gonna bring to brands you know Mm -hmm. 
Um, and I'm sure there's some kind of like backend platform that's like showing them who's like more popular in their distribution platform. You know, a lot of companies are like that. Like those, like there's so many kind of like influencer platforms that kind of show you like where you get your, who's going to give you the most bang for your buck. When I worked in social media at Saatchi, we like, we'd be, so someone would be trying to sell us one of those influencer platforms every day. I think there's like, I feel like that is like going to companies, going to advertisers, being like, we have a platform that actually like takes all these metrics from streaming platforms and Instagram and TikTok and like turns it into an index, right? Um, If you Mm -hmm. subscribe to our platform and you're doing a campaign for (laughs) Cheerios and you need an... um, a really cool artist, we can like get that relationship going. Um, and you could kind of like your social media manager or whoever is inside your company could have that tool to kind of see like who's buzzing. Right. Um, and maybe there are some keywords that you can plug in to like find those people like that totally <laughs> exists in many different capacities for different. Not uh, I know that exists um, for music that exists in just the influencer space in general. Like is it's there are platforms that are like trying to connect you so many platforms that are like trying to connect you to brands. Yeah. I mean, the, the funny thing about the influencer platform thing is that in some ways it it's a funny concept to me because it's almost like the reverse of what I would think about how what you'd want a song to do in sync, right? Like at some level, mm-hmm. and 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 like correct me if I'm mm-hmm. wrong, right? Like you want the song to fit the media form. It doesn't matter if that song is like blowing up, right? Like, or or do you know. want or that will exp- ex- like 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 speak on it then, right? Like, or do you yeah. Do you want a song that's like hot because all these like that will make it go viral? It's not a surprise that people like popular st- uh, songs, though. You know, like if you could have the Beyonce song that everybody likes be the soundtrack to whatever you're doing um, to the the film that you're making. Why not? You know, <laughs> everybody will like I feel like there's an there'll be a base level affinity right there right like Mm -hmm. now we're associating whatever you're doing with beyonce now this is fucking like now the shit that you're making is if the if the thing you're making is actually cool it's like yeah i think every popular songs are just popular so people like popular songs because because like not to be redundant but because people like things that are popular (laughs) yeah and so and 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 things that have momentum and have the ear so so in some ways then thinking about it that way i think is almost like kind of like a co-production right it's like you want the song to soundtrack the image but you also want like the song to have legs on its own so that people will enjoy looking at this image (laughs) yeah or get people's attention I think that's the biggest thing, right? Like, if the sound is on, how do I get somebody's attention? Like, with a song that they know. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, no. That's that's really, really interesting. Because, I mean, like, I have to admit, I had thought a lot about sync and the, the way that, you know, especially on the kind of, like you were saying, the 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 kind of easier, kind of lower end of some of this, especially with, like, libraries where it's, you know, um, kind of a mm-hmm. lower budget production, you know, kind of thinking about it in a similar framework to like, I don't know, um, like vibe playlists, right? You know, mm-hmm. where it's like you're mm-hmm. making this music to fit a to to fit a pre-existing thing and you want it to be good enough to get there. But at some level, the music is like a little bit of like a um, like almost like a you know like interchangeable a little bit right like the low yeah. fi beats to study to like you could sub the point of that is that you can sub in all those songs right right but what you're saying is actually it's it's really not like that or it can yeah, be, it I, cannot be like that sometimes yeah it is. It, yeah I, yes exactly I think it cannot be like that and I don't think I. I like I said I think if you had the choice to have a popular song you would want one. But I also think some opportunities like especially like that we've seen with like Apple and I think Apple was really at least in in my 
era, like in the time that I grew up, like Apple broke a lot of cool music. No, I think you're right. I think you're 100% right. And I think it's because they knew that they had they knew that they had the reach. You know, I don't think they were really concerned with people like like they knew that they had the reach mm-hmm. and a part of their whole brand was like that they were in touch with really cool shit, you know? <laughs> and so for them at the time, especially mm-hmm. those early Apple commercials, like it ma- oh those, and we're talking about the we're talking about the dancing iPhone commercials. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it made a lot of sense for them to like to like introduce people to music. Yeah, I mean that, they that actually that actually like I feel like those. I think you're a hundred percent right to highlight the importance of those commercials because I also feel like those commercials, like change the discourse on licensing right like i think that prior to those commercials having your like bands and artists were using their music for commercials but it was seen as like selling out and then like the fratellis mm-hmm. <laughs> had that like first mm-hmm. or second apple mm-hmm. commercial it was mm-hmm. like this is cooler than any music video you could have done right yeah right yeah i could see that i think it changed the the discourse a little bit i could see that i could see that side of it for sure let me just kind of like contextualize what we've said so far because here like sync could serve the purpose of discovering new music right like if it if there's an alignment with the brand or the media company like especially when it comes to like a movie or a brand that wants to seem like they're really in and like really savvy you know Mm -hmm. and trying to reach a specific audience because sometimes it's like it might not be the popular song but it's a popular song Mm -hmm. with the people that we're trying to reach right sure yeah and so i feel like there's that like uh there's that value that like Um, music to picture can do right but then there's the other that's like especially for um especially for bigger bigger brands it's like we know that a lot of people know this music so they'll look at our commercial right like that it'll Mm -hmm. get the it'll get people's attention because they know the song and then there's the other thing of people that are just like well we need music so how do we like and we might not be able to afford um, we might not be able to afford the moon and the sky, you know, <laughs> but we need music and we need music that's good enough. And so I feel like that is like watching something with music versus watching something without music. You know what I mean? And so like, how do you find, like, I think there's also that, right? Like that value that there's people that are kind of like in that are, there's resources that are, that are there to just provide to provide music kind of like at every price point for every goal that you might have, you know? No, that makes, that makes total sense. And, and I I wonder now, like to kind of think a little bit about how that, that exactly what you said, like that availability of music at every price Mm -hmm. point has really has started to change. Like, a, how, how that's going to evolve going forward, but also how that started to change things. I mean, like, I was doing some research for this conversation, mm-hmm. and as, like, what you said, it happened, right? Because I feel like it was a, it was, it was was an evolution over uh-huh. time, right? Like, there didn't used to be that availability at every price point fairly well worked right. out. And, like, it got established and built out and figured out, and that as a result, there's, like, a lot more sync yeah. happening. That they're like t- TV shows use so many songs yes. now, and they used to use a couple. Right. Well, because like even I guess when you think about it, like there used to only be like three channels, and now we have like a la carte. Anybody could watch anything that's tailored. Like literally, shows are now being developed to be tailored to every like niche audience. But, but also, so like yeah, I you want see. an indie folk song played. It like maybe you used to be able to have to go to a record label and like deal with a record label to license just an indie folk song. And I think that like, unless it was a big one, maybe folks were like, eh, it's not worth it. And now it's like, no, I can just go find right, it. Right, right, right. There's so many resources where I could find what, where I could, yeah, make sure that that box is checked for sure. 
But I mean, it, it's also thinking about what you were saying before is also just like, <laughs> I'm going back to that iPod moment. Cause I think, I think you hit on something that's so important with that, right? Because I think it gets at a whole lot of mm-hmm. like critical dynamics that we're going to shape the next like two, three decades of music. Mm-hmm. And because one of the things that that iPod moment does is A, let's say it, for the sake of argument, it changes the discourse. It's like you're not selling out anymore. You're licensing. <laughs> like we're coming right. out of the 90s where like Nirvana's like corporate magazines suck. Like being in mm-hmm. Rolling Stone is selling out to now it's like, mm-hmm. no, being in an iPod commercial is cool. <laughs> right. So there's that. Right. But also there's the move away from recordings as the way musicians make money. That that sure that, that iPod commercial also like <laughs> symbolizes to me, right? Sure. So so the thing is though that also like and it's something it's kind of my pet theory that we've been talking on the show a lot a lot about, um, is that even though music stops being like recorded music has like maybe a dip in profitability, like how much money the the record companies are able to extract from selling uh, CDs, like music uh-huh. doesn't become less valuable. Music has this right. incredible social value that like, yeah. And so in some ways, because it can help you sell something because it can help you sell something. Just maybe not mm-hmm. CDs, a movie, uh, a product for sure. And so in some ways, like I feel like the same way that we've been thinking a lot about like, uh, you know, the way that music's, the way that music helps like YouTube have massive value. Yeah. Sync is in some ways the the flip side of that or another, not a flip side, another part of that broader story is that like, right. this is one of the mechanisms for which the value of music is being worked out. And what's nice about this one is that musicians are actually getting paid. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a part of why I really was attracted to the, like, to the sync industry in general, because I thought that like, um, I still think this, what made me interested in it was that it felt like the place in the industry where you could really advocate for um, songwriters and producers. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, because artists play shows, you know, and they're on TV, and songwriters and publisher, uh, songwriters and producers get sure might get a share of the music that that the artists sell, but I just felt like sync opportunities could like I just just being a champion for just like underrepresented artists and kind of like introducing stakeholders to artists that they might not have thought of that that fit what they might be looking for and in turn mm-hmm. being able to reward a producer and a songwriter with a job or an opportunity to further their careers i thought yeah. was really admirable like as admirable as it gets in the music industry you know <laughs> like <laughs> no it's so i think you're so right and it's so interesting because like if at like one, like if the story at some level of like <laughs> the recorded, a lot of the record industry, like the traditional record industry is like, this is about, uh, it's it's a business and it's right. an art form. And the fact that we're like, you can be like, it's about the art. It's not about right. the money, man. Like actually I feel like was a way that a lot of artists got ex- like artists as and musicians, like as a group <laughs> got right. exploited over the last 25 right, years. Right, right, right. And, and in some ways, in this really fascinating way, because sync is like, there's no pretending that what you're not doing is selling the music for, you know, you're sell- the music has value because it's being used to sell things, right? That's like, right, right. Like you can't like you. That's there's no pretense about it. But in almost because of that, it's like artists are able to get a fairer shake because they're like in this different space where they're like, no, 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 what I have is valuable. <laughs> There are some you were talking about Apple um, and like the idea of selling out, but the movies have been breaking um, music mm-hmm. forever, and it adds story. Like it adds, mm. it adds so much to. That's what I also think. Like it's funny. Like there's a relationship between like music and what you're watching. 
right? And so I think especially yes. with when the when it's a match, it's such a match, but it's also like in many ways I feel like it could be the like the lottery sometimes because you could cycle through so many songs that you think might be a right fit for this picture and then and then give like with someone's taste or like how the scene and like like the vibe it's like when it's a match it's so clearly a match sometimes you know and i feel mm-hmm. like that's like been the winning rest that's like been a winning recipe for like a lot like for biggie and even destiny's child like a lot of big like a lot of popular artists that bro- right exactly a lot of popular artists that broke their songs in movies has been like now this song has like an attitude that we can see you know and personalities that we identify with in this way and is a part of a bigger culture that we might not have put it in the same way music videos kind of do that you know i worked on a project not too long ago where we had to remix mm-hmm. an old song right and it was it was interesting it was like a, a brand had approached us and was like hey we want to find like a super old song that might be in the public domain like super old uh folksy song and then we want to kind of contemporize contemporize it and i think mm-hmm. that is like such a a good illustration of like why taste and research what the service of like like what a music company is really good at that it that is solely dedicated to understanding the sync world versus like um a music team that might be in-house at a tech company is like okay uh-huh there's so many different parts of this like researching the music right understanding having that like knowledge like maybe even working with musicologists right like to really understand um the rights of this old artifact and what the what the implications are of Mm -hmm. remixing it this way and then having the taste to find um talent that is like cool enough trendy enough is like edgy enough maybe not maybe not quite mainstream yet and marry those two in a way that makes something compelling Mm -hmm. i think is like really um that project really just like exemplified why there are music companies that in um that are experts at sync and music supervision right it's like that marriage of legality and taste and yeah. and business and business. It's also the place where songs like don't die, right? Like songs are like they're the people that keep kind of like going back into catalogs and like mm-hmm. reimagining them too. Which I think is really I mean, a lot of brands have done that where they've done modern covers, right? Of older songs and I like have reintroduced this with like fresh talent and like, and that's, that's like a, that's, that's a sync challenge, right? Sure. Like how do we find the rights holders of the, of this classic song? Right. And then marry it with the talent with like current talent. Mm -hmm. How, what our relationship with that talent, right? Like, Right, right, Who's right, right. The, Who is that person that's redoing the song? And for what brand? I feel like those kind of questions is like really like th- those kind of like challenges are really like where the sync industry shines. Yeah. And, you know, you're, it's a such it's so interesting because it's like a very different set of like set of ways to make money from music and connect people and think about music in this creative like you said like both artistic and business aspect that's that's a different set of actors than than like the labels <laughs> right and even on the label side like it's like um the license the licensing teams on the label side like that's that's like a big part of what they do right and yeah it's like Everyone is, it's weird. Music is kind of funny because I feel like everybody's playing a role in archiving it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like that is what the industry is doing, you know? Like everyone is playing a role in, 
yeah, selling it is selling it. But since you can't touch it, what are you actually doing with it? And I think everybody in the industry, if you're not performing it, I think like when you're not on the artist side, I feel like everyone is doing like this weird is doing like this weird. It's like in a weird way, like continuing to archive and catalog um, music and add more timestamps to old music, you know, like Mm -hmm. and repurpose it. And I guess that's what licensing is, right? (laughs) That's something that's also been kind of interesting about this industry. It's just like it really does. You have to you have to do a lot of recall, especially if you're someone, especially if you're providing like music supervision services, right? You're doing so much recall and and like some using so many references because people and so I don't know that that's just something interesting that I thought about. Yeah. Well, Sebastian, thank you so much, man. This was like such an illuminating conversation this is a a, a opening of thinking about this major element like a major pillar of the music industry that that what's fascinating to me that i really think i hadn't quite grasped is that it works it's fundamental propositions of sync are different than the fundamental propositions of like the like uh, uh, the the artist label relationship yeah well sebastian thank you so much do you have anything anything you want to plug anything i want to plug yeah i have music online sebastian a day um always plugging that you can follow me on oh my instagram is sebastian x a d e yeah that's it cool (laughs) 